0: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to International Affairs. It's Jeremy here with co-host Matt Thomas. This is episode eight, I believe, of our International Affairs show, and uh, we've been on sabbatical hiatus. And like Matt was saying, what recording failure we
1: we did this once and it didn't. There was audio that cut out, and so this is the mulligan edition of episode eight. Yeah,
0: it's a work in progress. (laughs) here at our studio trying to fine-tune all of our equipment, uh, and we're also busy with real life and our real jobs, um, which have taken significant amounts of time. But we're here nonetheless uh, to talk about Wagner Group, uh, what we've seen happening in Russia and Ukraine relatively recently with Wagner. And what's being described as somewhat of a mutiny. I mean, these are essentially... It's a private military contracting company. Right. So do, do, do we call them state actors? Or are they in, not state actors?
1: In a way, uh, it has been revealed a little bit more the relationship between Wagner Group and the Russian state, Russian MOD. And so to a certain degree, yes... Um, They're more state actors than they used to appear or that than Russia used to try to portray them as. Uh, So so yes and no is is more or less your answer on that. Okay, so yes and
0: no state actors. Uh, So really trying to define what the Wagner Group is and how they were operating. There was a lot of discussion in public media, mainstream media about Wagner Group and what we're calling a mutiny. The Wagner Group fighting and supporting Russia's efforts in Ukraine uh, and abroad in other countries, meddling in several African countries. Uh, So this is a private military contracting company that has deep pockets funded by the Russian government. And they're kind of operating in this gray zone, gray area, conducting Russian foreign policy or conducting operations on behalf of Russian foreign policy in areas They want to touch, reach, have influence. So uh, if we start quickly with Mm -hmm. what Wagner had been doing in Africa, Mm -hmm. if you could tell us a little bit about that, and then let's go into maybe what they were doing in Ukraine and then Mm -hmm. what happened with Wagner marching into Russia, heading north to Moscow, and where we sit
1: today based on our best guess. Mm -hmm. All right. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. It's a lot keep us keep us kind of organized here. Uh so v- Wagner Group as as a as an organization uh it had some links to the Russian MOD or Ministry of Defense. And uh and it was really kind of as you mentioned a a sort of subsidiary of uh of the Russian state, uh, acting in the gray zone to advance Russian foreign policy objectives at at home and abroad. So one of the big things that Wagner uh, was involved in was in uh, many African countries, it would partner with uh, the local governments, usually authoritarian regimes, um, and and would then... uh, provide them some kind of security guarantee, whether they were fighting some insurgents uh, in a certain part of the country, uh, whether they were uh, dealing with maybe in the case of Mali, you had ISIS in West Africa, for example. Um, in, in Sudan, uh, Wagner was uh, actively involved uh, surrounding the numerous coups that have happened in, in the last decade uh, in Sudan. And part of what Wagner was doing in that is essentially sanctions dodging in in one area. Um, it was largely funded by the Russian state, but it also had outside funding from other sources, some of which may have been going to the Russian state itself. Uh, But also, ultimately, whether they were or not, they were going to fund Russian state objectives. Uh, So things like um, exploitation of the gold mines in Sudan, uh, as well as securing oil resources, uh, rare earth minerals, other sorts of things, Wagner was very heavily involved in all of that. Uh, in in Africa it was also very heavily involved in Syria and helping to prop up the Assad regime uh-huh. uh, there uh, and and has been heavily involved in the Donbass in Ukraine um although that uh, that involvement is currently diminishing so they've been involved in advancing Russian state objectives Increasing ties with like-minded countries in Africa and in the Middle East, helping to prop up authoritarian regimes, uh, meddling in the affairs of of other countries, and securing natural resources in large part to help the Russian state fundraise more or less.
0: Right, and they're having to do that, to, like you alluded to, dodge sanctions Mm -hmm. imposed by the international community uh, in an attempt to get... Moscow to stop strong-arming their way through foreign policy around right. the globe.
1: And and so Wagner has been uh, a useful tool for Moscow to be able to try to achieve those objectives. Uh, it's it's headed by, of course, Evgeny Prigozhin. Um, he has been part of Putin's inner circle uh, really since the St. Petersburg days uh, when, when he was former KGB officer turned kind of local thug um and uh, and so prigozhin thug, can we call him a thug <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> right. and so prigozhin he's kind of um uh, he's kind of been this long standing partner for for putin and what putin has essentially done in crafting his model of what the state looks like and how it operates, how it's managed, uh, is he he sort of inherited an oligarchic system from Boris Yeltsin, um, but then sort of turned it on its head and made it his own. And so he's got this inner cabal of, of different people who are um, essentially his in in some respects it's it's like a um a society a, a mutual admiration society more okay. or less right they're they're there to enrich and support each other and and kind of prop each other, prop up. Each other up and so so what putin has done is essentially he's created a system that is a, a little bit difficult for him to control Uh, because each of those people around him has a certain amount of sway over him as well, right? So this creates some of the dynamic between Putin and Prigozhin and why Prigozhin is essentially what he is and where he is now. Uh, Okay. So Prigozhin as a whole... He's, he's a Putin loyalist. He believes in Putin's overall objective in foreign policy. Um, and but, but different and, political parties. Uh, right. And he's, he's from a different political party. So domestically, he's more of a populist than Putin is. Yeah. And so he is uh he's part of the Sprava Liva party, uh, the a uh, just Russia party. And so he has these kinds of uh populist aims in in terms of his uh his desired preference for the Russian government. That being said, in his foreign policy, he is very much a Putin loyalist, uh very much a rebuild Russia to its former glory. I mean, Putin himself stated that he believed the greatest uh, geopolitical disaster of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union, and he wants his project is to rebuild it. I mean, he's an old KGB communist. Right. Uh, that's that's who he is, what he is, um, and we, we need to remember that whenever we think about Putin. Um, and so are his friends, right? right. They are, you know— you know they may not have a communist state per se, but these are old KGB and other Czechists from the old communist it's era. It's the way they think it's, and the way
0: they are mm-hmm. comfortable operating. Exactly uh, mm-hmm. in that that uh, in that style.
1: Right, and one of the drawbacks to that, uh, from a management perspective, is that you're going to have people whose primary objective is to survive in their jobs for as long as possible. And so that can kind of create some information vacuums, uh, which means that you know, things that should be getting to the president don't get to him. And so there can be sometimes some information blindness as people try to protect themselves and their jobs uh, and, and essentially survive. Right.
0: That actually reminds me of I've been watching uh, Survivor lately. Mm-hmm a television show reminds me of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, information, uh, gathering, right. keeping, protecting, choosing what to share for your benefit, uh, manipulation
1: of the group. Right. Um, and, and one of the, one of the key, um, kind of case in point examples would be Saddam Hussein, uh, during the 1980s around Iraq war. Right uh you had the generals lying to him to try to preserve their jobs right these kinds of things are are the sort of the nature of that sort of authoritarian model um that that putin has now getting towards where that relationship between putin and prigozhin bro- broke down uh you have essentially Prigozhin upset about mismanagement of the war in Ukraine. So, in the middle of the mutiny itself, Prigozhin even goes so far as to say that the war was useless, that it was a murderous waste of lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this is going to get out to the Russian public um, in in that time frame, which. seems like a big bombshell uh, that that would be dropped, right? Um, And in the end, it doesn't appear that that has been quite the case. But he is still, nonetheless, towing the line in favor of the overall objective of the war in Ukraine, and and he's primarily mad that uh, that the war was going as badly as it is uh, for the Russians and that the management of it has been, by and large, incompetent.
0: So um, we could almost call Progozhin, what, the third general? The, the, more or less, right? right? So, so, you know, in direct conflict or not direct conflict, but uh, opposition of ideas with actual state, Ministry of Defense,
1: right? And so his his argument goes uh, towards primarily the Ministry of Defense, and that gets us to the aim of his his mutiny in the first place was essentially not to replace Putin, but to uh, get rid of Shoigu and Garasimov uh, at the head of the Ministry of Defense, and that has failed. Um, Where are those guys now? No. So in the immediate aftermath, when we first tried to record this. Um, Shoigu had reappeared and was uh, seen visiting with uh, the Cuban uh, chief of general staff and and so forth from the Cuban M.O.D. Uh, So Shoigu reappeared fairly quickly within the the next couple of days. Uh, Gerasimov uh, didn't appear again until July 10th, which was a little odd. Uh Um, And even there in In the video that showed him listening to uh, reports on the war on Ukraine, it wasn't necessarily all that clear what his role was, uh, whether he had been demoted. It doesn't really appear that that's the case at this point. Uh, So Gerasimov is also still there. And Gerasimov has been a competent strategist. He's more or less the architect of most of what Russia is uh, is doing in its foreign policy uh, essentially its doctrine war fighting doctrine uh and hybrid warfare because again russia considers itself to be at a state of war against the entire west Right. Um, and so gerasimov is more or less the author of this most modern iteration of that a lot of it has its roots again going back to soviet uh ideas but um so he's been a competent strategist, uh, but he and Shoigu, uh, to what degree they're responsible for this, have mismanaged uh, right. this war. And that was where Prigojin was upset. Now, what is interesting here uh, as well is that, uh, again, at the time, I speculated that maybe, you know, when we first recorded this video, uh, I, I suspected that maybe there would be some kind of purge mm-hmm. uh, of of the russian military leadership even that has only seemed to materialize in a minimal capacity uh, some aides to certain leaders have been sacked uh, a few other people have been fired uh, one of the unusual ones as well and perhaps the signals kind of displeasure at uh, the the russian state media's handling of uh of the events uh the the leader of toss um right. which is primary russian state media uh still has the old soviet acronym even it's yeah. that's literally the telegraph agency of the soviet union uh, is what it would translate to ancient uh, so uh, it still has that name but uh the the leader of of toss the head guy over it uh was sacked and replaced um <laughs> So you have some minor officials, as well as this one major guy at Toss who gets uh, who gets sacked. But other than that, there hasn't really been any major purge. And Prigozhin himself, even though he went to Belarus briefly. He's able to go to St. Petersburg and walk around he meets with putin uh, and right. and they discuss what happened and, and as so much forth. as as
0: much as we know um, exactly you know the significant crafting of information coming out of the Russian regime you know the leader of toss being sacked there was mm-hmm. displeasure in whatever messages leaked out to the public that Right, weren't supportive of what the government wanted the mm. public to know, um, and then as far as we know, mm. Prigozhin making it to Belarus for some period of time, uh, and then now he's not necessarily in exile or he's right. he's allowed.
1: And he's he's been confirmed in Saint Petersburg as well as meeting with President Putin, and so. You know, I think everybody thought this man needs to avoid second story windows right. and and, uh, and whatever right. kind of uh, poisoning he might be able to receive. And that may still be the case, but he's, as of now, not completely scot-free, but basically, in, in, as I read it um, in another article... Um, they use the tsarist old phrase "fallen into disgrace," so so that yeah. that seems to kind of be his his status right now. He's just he's Partial, disgraced, partially but,
0: disgraced. Uh, yeah. But
1: other than that, it, you know, he's he's otherwise uh, being allowed to continue um, as a free person. And and you still even get conflicting reports from uh, from the Russian media as to whether or not the charges have been dropped, or right. whether the investigation is ongoing, or w- whether or not those two things may not be mutually exclusive. There could still be investigation while the charges are being dropped. Um, you know that's so we've got Prigozhin
0: displeasure in how the Ukraine war is being carried out. Uh, some pushback from Prigozhin about supplies, weapons, and his troops. uh, And so, kind of alluding to that, calling him, we'll call him the third general, uh, with the other two fellas getting into a little bit of a tiff, and maybe he's not sure anybody's listening. So, what does he do? He orders his troops to turn around, head into... Russia and make a march on Moscow mm-hmm. uh, to send a signal or a message to somebody. Uh, well, he didn't need to send a message or signal to anybody that actually has power uh, because he has contact with these people. This was he wanted mm-hmm. the public. This this was a would you say this was a public theater by Prigozhin to try to show the rest of Russia that this is what's happening and to spill this out into the public domain.
1: Ultimately, I think he wanted to put pressure on on Putin to get rid of Shoigu and Grasimov. Um and it didn't really work. Because um, in
0: theory, he could have Prigozhin could pick up his telephone and talk to Putin directly.
1: Right, right, and and so uh, and it appears that they had had arguments over that in the past, and they'd gone nowhere um and so perhaps Prigozhin felt that this was the last ditch effort to to get it done um you know make this kind of the you now have uh this level of pressure being applied right. to you that uh, this needs to happen now uh, and again ultimately it didn't work um but as to what the consequences have been it's it's very odd uh, to see kind of how much latitude Prigozhin right. seems to have, right? And and so that is uh and that is really interesting. Um, you know, putting this into perspective for for an American audience, uh, the march from uh where where Prigozhin um essentially took captured Rostov uh, on Don and then marched all the way up to Tula, uh, just shy of Moscow. To put that into perspective, that would be like marching from uh, midway up the Alabama-Georgia border all the way to just past Richmond, Virginia, if, if someone were a military leader were uh, right. enacting a coup on Washington, D.C. So, so know, that's significant. Exactly. He's, he made it quite a incredible distance and got incredibly close, uh, as well. And so and they shut the whole thing down. Uh huh. And, and that is also part of what's perplexing and has led a lot of people to think that maybe this was some kind of maskirovka. Uh, right. maybe this was, uh, orchestrated by the state, and at this juncture my my instinct is to tell me that it's too messy for that. Uh, the way that it happened and the way that the Russian state was scrambling to find its message and was sending confusing mixed messages uh throughout the process. Um, and the number of people now that have been fired, and what limited purge there is, it doesn't really appear that this was any kind of um, orchestrated event. Oh, no. um, and and if it was, why would you shoot down several helicopters and and so forth? Right. Right. Um. It it does appear to be at face value what it is, but the consequences of it are perhaps what are more perplexing, right? Because not much seems to have happened uh, other than uh, that essentially offers are being made to Wagner troops to join the MOD, um, which was part of what sparked the mutiny in the first place. Um, And then uh, essentially, outside of the Central African Republic, in Africa, Wagner's movements are more or less normal and even the the exodus of wagner troops out of the central african republic uh the president there uh is is essentially just saying that this is a regular troop rotation uh so even though we have hundreds of wagner troops leaving from the airport in bangui where we're essentially being told by by him, true or not, right. that this is a regular troop rotation. In Mali, uh, basically, the, the president has reaffirmed the more or less partnership with uh-huh. Wagner. Uh, Sudan, we're not seeing anything unusual um, about Wagner's movements. Syria, nothing unusual about Wagner's movements. Uh, so outside of Ukraine itself... Wagner is not really, and and perhaps we can conjecture or, uh, that maybe the Central African Republic as well, but outside of Ukraine and possibly Central African Republic, Wagner's footprint is not really diminishing globally. Um, yet. Yet. So what does that mean? Um, is it going to be kind of consolidated into some other department of, uh-huh. of the Russian state. We don't really know uh, at this juncture what the future holds uh, for Wagner in terms of where it fits in the state model and whether it would be kind of grandfathered into other organizations right. or what. Um, in Ukraine, what we are seeing is that there are still Wagner fighters in eastern Ukraine. But their numbers are going down. Um, In Belarus, we are seeing um, essentially, and there is open source intelligence of uh, encampments being made in the Mogilov uh, region of Belarus, uh, that they're essentially gathering Wagner troops into Belarus, and President Lukashenko claims that they are already beginning to train Belarusian soldiers um, likewise, we have confirmed reports of them within a hundred kilometers of the border in Ukraine within the Mogulov, uh, district of Belarus. Okay. Um, we don't really know what they're doing there. Uh, at this point could be to support border provocations could be any, anything, right. uh, could be nothing.
0: Somebody you knows know, what they're doing
1: there. Right? We, just, we don't. We don't. Exactly. You know, hopefully, well, maybe, maybe not from our perspective, hopefully. Uh, from their perspective, hopefully they know what they're right. doing. Yeah. From our perspective, hopefully they don't know what they're right. doing. We're <laughs> assuming they know what they're doing from their right. perspective. But. Uh, so, uh, so this is kind of where it stands at this point, and and Prigozhin, uh, more or less, his messaging at this point is still trying to justify what he did, while at the same time, um, putting himself on the side of a Putin loyalist, uh, and and reaffirming his loyalty to the Russian state and its objectives in foreign policy. Uh, so this is kind of where we stand with with Wagner up at this point.
0: I know when we previously tried to record this uh, a couple few weeks ago, it was wanting to watch what happens to Wagner troops in Africa mm-hmm. uh, and wanting to uh, try to get a better idea of the command and control of those groups and see that, that would tell us a lot about what's potentially happening uh, if the troops stay, if they are recalled, if they leave. Uh, and so... With limited, some movement, but limited what we're being told are regular troop rotations, then somebody has taken command and control of existing Wagner troops and is calling the shots on what they're doing, where they're doing it, and...
1: uh, Essentially, Wagner, even if it gets absorbed into something else, is not going away, and its objectives are are still going to remain part and parcel of what Russia is trying to achieve within its foreign policy. Okay, so it might no it might be dissolved in in the near future, um, but it itself is not going to be um, is not going to be going away from what we can tell at this point um best i can see it might get absorbed into something else uh but it'll still be looking at doing the same objectives and operating in the gray zone sanctions dodging securing natural resources propping up authoritarian regimes and so on so i it's, mean it's a profitable profitable mm, yeah. enterprise and so mm-hmm. surely
0: there there it's, are many people willing to step up
1: yeah it's something that's not easily going to be going away and and besides, there are lots of other organizations like it within Russia. This one just happens to be the exemplary one. Right. Um, and even so, it's also the one that is most deeply connected to the Russian state and to the Russian state's objectives. So while Gazprom, for example, uh, the state oil and gas company, has its own uh, similar organization, it's essentially only working for Gazprom uh and and securing oil and natural gas resources and doing that kind of work whereas Wagner was um uh, essentially more deeply intertwined with overall Russian state objectives rather than one niche sure and so it, this is something that's too valuable to the Russian state for it to just wholesale throw it away um, so where, where it goes and what structurally, what command and control, um, will look like in the future, uh, obviously it's at this juncture, someone has command and control right. over it. Um, but where that's going, we don't really know at this point. Um, other than that, my hypothesis is that Wagner is not going away wholesale. It might be absorbed, um, but it's not going away. And even that too, one of the interesting things that's going on right now is that we, are, we, do, we can confirm that there has been an arms transfer between Wagner and the Russian MOD. But what we can see from open source uh, intelligence is that all of that equipment is antiquated and heavily used old Soviet stuff. So either A... The Russians have essentially lost much of their new equipment, and/or B, they have poor maintenance of what equipment they do have,
0: or an attempted appeasement of Wagner, right?
1: Or C, this is essentially just a symbolic move, Mm -hmm. and so we have video of this. Uh, of this arms transfer going on, but nothing really meaningful. Right. Um, And so perhaps Wagner still has the good stuff, whatever it is, um, that it might have had. Because realistically, if Wagner was fighting with what they are are transferring over, it would be remarkable that they would have the level of success that they have. Um, So it's... That, that particular arms transfer also perhaps raises more questions than answers right. as to what exactly is going on here. Well, yeah, what was not hmm. Why? And, and, and one other detail uh, perhaps that raises more questions than answers is the fate of uh, General Sorovkin, uh, who knew about the Wagner mutiny before it happened uh, and has been arrested but there're still mixed messages from the russian state as to exactly what's happening with Surovikin. uh some people say he's lost his job, others are telling uh, the the russian people and and the outside world oh he's just resting. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> and, and so resting on a high dose of novichok. right, exactly. And in in a basement in Lefortova prison in in Moscow. Um, you know, which could be, um, the, the Russian state denies that, Um, uh, but we don't really know where Sorovikin is. Um, so that's another, another big question mark as to what has happened to him if he's part of the group that got sacked, uh, which would be interesting because he was absolutely brutal. Um, he is general Armageddon, uh, was his, was his nickname, um, But uh, essentially, he was one of the most competent of the military leaders. So what does that mean for the Russian military as well? There's a lot of questions here that, um, again, leave us with some potential opportunities to find and maybe exploit weaknesses within the Russian state if we're if we're bold enough to do it. Right.
0: Um, well, you know, an authoritarian mm-hmm. leaders don't necessarily love super competent subordinates. Exactly, um, because, because
1: they can be a challenge. Right. Yeah. And and so uh, that again gives us the Saddam Hussein problem, uh where you have incompetent leaders who are then lying to the authoritarian right. uh, leader. And and that too could be uh, Partly an explanation as to why the Russian state and Putin himself, uh, even and his uh, his press secretary, press secretary Peskov and and others, were giving such mixed messages at the beginning. It was kind of chaotic, mm-hmm. uh, like they were trying to mop up some sort of mess that uh, that kept spreading. You right. know? They had water from hell to breakfast, and they w- were trying to mop it up with right. you know, <laughs> with whatever a feather duster, yeah. <laughs> and and so. It was, it was kind of chaotic and, and a little bit ineffective. But then afterwards, now, the messaging has been consolidated. And, and overall, they've been able to kind of redirect the Russian people's attention right. uh, again. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, they figured it out uh, one way or another. Um, but again, this could, uh, could be an area where we can see and try to explore and possibly exploit, uh, weaknesses within the Russian state itself. Um, Definitely that, something to watch. Yeah. And, and that, with that being said as well, um, it's also an opportunity for, uh, the United States and for Western partners, uh, to really try to look to see how Ukraine can win because it really is, you know, the, the question of sovereign uh, sovereign states having the right to self determination as well as protecting a, uh, a nation that wanted to go on a Western democratic model uh, that has been interfered with by its neighbor, um, and there's all sorts of, of of different issues that we could get into with that, um, including some that are making headlines now. But that I think that would be a subject for another video. Um, another really weird detail, uh, kind of the last, um, the last thing that I'm going to go on in this is that within the weeks before. The Wagner mutiny there was this oddball raid on uh on Russian munitions uh stored in Belgrade, uh by a couple of anti-Kremlin groups and this you know the Russians claimed that it was the Ukrainians provoking from across the border those groups denied that they had any connection with the Ukrainians other than just a political affinity for them mm-hmm. um so you had two anti-Kremlin groups taking credit for this this raid on a munitions warehouse in Belgorod, uh, and and some overall political instability there in Russia during the month of June that appears like it may be partly mopped up at least at the surface, um, at this point right now. So that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> that's what Yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, something
0: to watch. Something that. We're going to monitor and see what comes of the fallout from Wagner, how things in Ukraine shift potentially from Wagner issues, what happens in Africa, other countries, Wagner's meddling, watch command and control, you know, state media. We can take that with a grain of salt, what we're being told uh, from Russian state media.
1: Uh, and and analyze those messages and see why might the Russian state want to promote that particular message, kind of put on the red teaming hat and right. say, if I were the Russian state, what message would I try to send? Absolutely. You know, and and try to get into their heads. You know, that's that's a big part of what uh what we need to be doing is be imaginative with uh trying to understand the Russian state in its objectives. Uh overall uh in in recent history and overall long term as well uh because we're so different philosophically from the Russian state it has been hard for western analysts to get in the minds of the russians and this is a very important thing for us to do is understand what they value what they want uh what their objectives are what they're trying to achieve uh and why right and and from there Understand, okay, why would they do what they do in light of what they want?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the same uh, issue with analyst uh, terrorism. Right. Um, How to be empathetic to and understand where they're coming from, how they think, why they think the way that they do, that their thoughts are valid. They're just misguided.
1: Uh, same, and, same, And essentially, applies. right, the same kind of thing that you would try to do to take down a mafia member right. is understand what makes them tick, right? Yeah. And and why, uh, why does this person do what they do in order that you can say, okay, these are the reasons why they do what they do. They're wrong. You know, what they're doing is evil. Um, but I understand why they do it and how they do it. And when I put on my my hat pretending to be them, I can really better understand and better anticipate what they're going to do. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. All right. That's the Wagner Group. That's uh, episode number unknown. Um, So I think we lost track of what episode Mm -hmm. we're on. But uh, we're going to do our best in future episodes to maybe talk about more general ideas and topics. We've drilled down on some specifics uh, with current events. There are still plenty of specifics to discuss regarding other issues in other parts of the world, uh, but we'll shift maybe towards more general international affairs topics and uh, then start to maybe drill back down on some specifics mm-hmm. uh um, things are happening every day
1: yeah some possible shorter explanatory videos maybe in the works as well uh just kind of see where we go with this right
0: and uh you know it it's my goal to stay apolitical when it comes to Mm -hmm. domestic politics and it's very difficult because everything that happens with our domestic politics have an effect on how we conduct foreign policy what we do overseas, how we respond, how we react. Um, And so we might have to get into some, some political crap is what Mm -hmm. it is now.
1: Uh, And with the understanding that, you know, we are, we are analyzing what we ourselves see. And so whatever is, is in that political realm um, is is essentially it's our analysis, and you can agree with it, you cannot agree with it, but hopefully at the end of the day, you take from it something valuable.
0: Absolutely. Alright, that's a wrap. We thank you guys for listening. Please check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, all of the podcast services. We post our content there, and if you really love us, I guess you could donate to us. I mean, I don't know is that how it works. You just Ask. We'll figure it out. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you later on for the next episode.